All right, so thank you for listening. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio, and we publish it here for you to listen at your enjoyment. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls. You're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. It's 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon, and you know what that means. It means you're listening to Anthro Alert. If you're still new to the show, we've changed our time from 3 to 4 to 2 to 4. So thank you, Bulls Radio, for giving us that extra hour time slot. So thank you for joining us. If you're new to Anthro Alert, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here before we get into discussing with our guests that's on the show today. So this show is simply about anthropology and why it matters. Each week, we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time, we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF um, to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics and current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists, as students of anthropology, to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our show with the disclaimer that the statements we make here and the opinions we express on Anthro Alert are ours and ours alone. They may not necessarily represent um, anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF, or student government as an entity. So with all of that out of the way, we can get right into it. Uh, today we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Zarger from the department. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Glad to be here. Yeah. She is an associate professor and, and the graduate director in the Department of Anthropology. And her, her research is, is largely uh, in environmental anthropology, uh, involving things like human environment relationships, climate change, water resources, food, environmental knowledge, and shows many, many more things. Um, she's worked on projects you know, from Brazil um, to locally here in the Tampa Bay area, which is what we will be focusing on today. So thank you for volunteering your time to come chat with us here on Anthro Alert. No problem. All right, so let's just let's just dive right in. Um, I think this is a fairly recent project that you did in the Tampa Bay area, correct? Yes, it's still mm-hmm. ongoing, actually. Okay, it's still ongoing. And so what it is is about climate change and water resources here in Tampa Bay. And so the full title is Assessing Vulnerabilities for Climate Change, Impacts of water provision, power relations, and perceptions of risk on eco-hydrology in Tampa Bay region socio-ecosystem. Is that the, that's the full title? Yeah, that's the the, the National Science Foundation okay. title. Yeah, that's a project. wordy one. That is kind of wordy. <laughs> um, usually, when I present our research to the public, uh, I have a title that's something like seeing beyond sea level rise thinking about mm. climate change in the Tampa Bay area. Okay. Yeah, that one's a little a little snappier. <laughs> <laughs> but the NSF title includes a lot of important keywords there. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, you know, who was involved with the project, how did it get started, things like that. Yeah. Well, um I like to say that this research topic sort of came to me versus me mm. coming to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the story of that is that um, with an interdisciplinary group of researchers here at USF um, since around 2009, um, and this includes researchers in integrative biology uh, and the geosciences, as well as anthropologists, we were interested in the politics of water scarcity and mm. how we make decisions about where we get our water from. 
And uh, that was focused here in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, And then we were asked actually by uh, NSF and EPA to consider applying for funding that would integrate the ways climate change is going to impact uh, that scarce resource, water. Yeah, sure. And uh, so that's that's what I mean when I say the topic came to me. Um, but but as we started thinking about this question of climate change, uh, there were a few sort of key issues that came to the forefront as being really interesting about the Tampa Bay area uh, that we wanted to know more about. One um, is it became quickly apparent that the Tampa-St. Petersburg area is becoming consistently listed as one of the most vulnerable coastal cities in the U.S. Which I actually didn't know that until I read your, your report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, right? I, I don't think, um, well, I certainly hadn't thought about it myself uh, until a couple of years ago and starting to do this project. And actually, when we began this research, uh, we the Tampa Bay area had not received that kind of notoriety mm. at that point. So uh, mm. we started researching the topic uh, around 2012. And um, in the intervening uh, few years, we've seen that the um, discussion about Tampa being extremely vulnerable has just kind of continued to increase. So, for example, there was a story that was published uh, last July in uh, the Washington Post Mm -hmm. about uh, the vulnerability of this area to both uh, rising sea levels, uh, increased intensity of hurricanes, um, and all linking it to uh, changing climate. Um, so um, as we've been interested in, in how climate change will affect the Tampa Bay area, there's a few aspects of that that we're, we're especially interested in learning more about. One is how uh, climate scientists study and discuss and, and share what they know about climate science, and uh, in particular, the uh, models of what future climate change impacts are likely to be. And um, in the beginning, when we started our research, we did a lot of interviewing with climate modelers who do both global uh, models as well as state level in Florida. Uh, And we were really interested in the question of how to translate that sort of information for the public. Mm. Um, It was a topic that the climate scientists that we were interested in were really kind of thinking about. Right. uh, And they were really open to the idea of talking with social scientists, with anthropologists about what are the best ways to go about sharing that information. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of the other things that we ended up uh, focusing on was sort of the politics of climate change discourse uh, in our in our state, uh, in our in our region, how it's different from other places around the country. Um, And it's safe to say that when we began this research project, there was less of a comfortable conversation about the topic of climate change yeah. uh, in um, local agencies, for example, right. municipalities. Yeah. Um, and that was coming yeah, from a lot of different sectors. But over the last four years of, of doing this research, we've seen that the dialogue and the narrative has has changed quite a bit. So that's mm. been interesting to just watch that process happen. Mm. So I'm curious um, – you know, as Tampa Bay, as the area has kind of been known, I guess, as or labeled as vulnerable, uh, like the area, does the community or the people that you talk to, do they view it also as vulnerable or is this sort of like an outside kind of yeah, discourse no, that's label a, that's put on Tampa? That's a great question. Um, so as this discussion has emerged, that's one of the questions that we were really interested in is what, you know, what do people think about climate change? Do right. they... Do they, quote-unquote, believe in climate change? Mm. Because that's often a phrase that that is used 
do they um, have specific concerns about mm. you know where they live, where they work, where they where they play, recreational areas? Mm. Um, and I'll I'll talk about this I guess as our conversation kind of unfolds this afternoon. Uh, but we were also interested in those places in our region that local residents are the most concerned about with regards to impacts from climate change. Mm. Those kind of iconic places right. that, um, you know, really might loom large in people's minds as far as things that are likely to be threatened by climate change. Hmm. So what what kind of a reaction did you get from the people you talked to, or, the, or I guess just the community members uh, in the in the area about about this, the questions you're asking about the research in general, um, you know, climate change, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, we had kind of two parts to the research. One was to interview uh, people who, this is kind of using some anthro speak here, but yeah. key stakeholders mm-hmm. uh, who um, are kind of community leaders, elected officials, people who represent uh, environmental organizations, um, local utilities. So folks who have you know, an interest in this topic and perhaps a a growing interest. Um, And we really wanted to hear from them what they saw as the biggest risks of climate change for the Tampa Bay area. Mm. So they're all drawing on lots of different kinds of information, but we were curious to hear how they talked about that idea of, um, of risk. And, um, and then we also interviewed uh, people who were maybe less involved uh, with the topic of climate change uh, and and got a, a sense of, of what they thought about it. And a lot of those interviews were uh, very sort of short, informal conversations at public spaces. Um, and we had sort of a short uh, survey that members of our team um, handed out and kind of started conversations with people. And one of the things that we found was that there was a lot more concern about climate change than we originally anticipated. That's interesting. So based on you know, media that we had read or just having conversations in particular with uh, decision makers and, and policymakers, uh, there was a lot of assumption about the fact that this is a topic that maybe isn't on people's radar or they don't really care about. And what we found is that's really not true. Um, one of the things that I think was pretty clear from uh, this research in particular was the fact that even though people might be aware of the the future impacts of climate change, it's something that, for one thing, it's so far off in the future, right? Mm, it's yeah. like, you know, can we really think about what's going to happen 50 years, 100 years from now, 150 right. years from now? Um, and I think for the average person, that's that's a really tough sell. Yeah. Um, one of the other things is um, a lot of the sort of global projections are not at a localized scale. So it's kind of thinking mm-hmm. about a global problem and how that's going to affect you locally. Right. Um, and that, that's a, a big challenge. Um, another thing is that um, a lot of the folks that we talked to, although they might be uh, maybe aware of a change in climate, they felt really powerless to do anything about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that was uh, one of the things that, that we often heard from people when we asked them, you know, when you think about climate change, you know, what do you think of? Mm. Um, and we were also interested in uh, people's climate stories, how they talk about maybe their being anxious or their concerns about the impacts of climate change. Um, there's one group of people that we didn't necessarily um, speak with that much uh, because of the study design, I think, and that's people who 
are very skeptical about whether or not uh, climate change yeah. is a factor, is a, is a real thing. Yeah, that could really throw a monkey wrench in there, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, well, and I think one of, the, <laughs> one of the challenges is if we're, you know, if we're in a public, uh, like at a Saturday market in St. Pete, which is one of the places uh, that some of these informal uh, conversations and surveys happen, yeah. um, those people who are who think climate change is a hoax are probably unlikely to come and talk to us when we have a little sure. sign you right. know, about yeah. the topic. Right. Um, and we also held a series of public workshops where we invited the public to come and have dialogue around the topic of climate change. Um, and that was both a way of us for us to sort of collect and document uh, the variety of perspectives, uh, but also as a way of sharing some of the climate science with the public. And it had that kind of dual purpose. But the people who would who would come to that kind of an event most likely are not sort of climate skeptics. Right. Or Yeah, they're already interested to begin with or concerned. Or, right. You know, so that's, I mean, it's a real limitation, I think, right. of our, um, our approach. Mm. Uh, and there's some things that I'd like to do in the future that would really try to bridge that gap in figuring out innovative ways to create dialogue with people who are very... Um, you know, opposed to the idea of yeah. the validity of climate change. Uh, just because I'm not necessarily as informed on the arguments on climate change, do you know, some, can you give us examples of some of the arguments against climate change? Like, are they largely political or well, kind of like it's too far in the future, <laughs> like the data is inconclusive, that kind of thing? Or You know, it, it, there's a variety of okay. of kind of arguments out there and it probably depends on the the source the demographic right, you know sure. there's yeah. it's coming from a lot of different directions right um but i think one thing you can say is that they're in um if you look at just pub media um, and how climate change has been discussed over the last 30 years so you know even before al gore had his first sure. uh film and now he's got uh, the second one coming out um a lot of times in the public eye, it's presented as an even debate, you know, mm. where it's like 50-50 or, you know, we're, scientists are still debating climate change, whether or not it, it's something that um, is really likely to happen or, um, you know, do the dynamics really uh, look like they're going to play out in this particular way that's been projected. And I think as the scientific consensus grew you know, and through from the 1980s up to the present, there was really less and less debate happening. But um, the the narrative in the United States and, and sort of the public view was still being portrayed as this kind of like back mm -hmm. and forth mm -hmm. uh, debate. Now, obviously, the, there's a lot of, um, you know, this sort of general process of how new scientific knowledge is created mm -hmm. involves mm -hmm. debating findings and right. trying to understand how significant they are. Right. Um, so that's not really what I'm referring to. It's the uh, portrayal of the sort of legitimacy of climate change science mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. being in question. Uh, so, for example, um, if you look at the um, International Panel on Climate Change, you have you know scientists from around the world who study a variety of topics, mm -hmm. uh, and they create consensus documents. Uh, and um, there's really very little disagreement about m most of the statements that they make in these reports. It has to go through mm -hmm. this consensus process, mm -hmm. uh, but it's portrayed as you know this great debate within the field. 
Um, when, Interesting. You know, it's like 97% of scientists support those those findings. Mm. Um, so I think it's it's something that uh, anthropologists have written about. Other um, you know journalists have written about this this fact. Uh, there's a lot of research as to what was fueling that particular narrative, mm. uh, mm-hmm. and there's some evidence to suggest that uh, specific think tanks were kind of um, promoting this idea of a, a of a conflict and a debate where it maybe yeah. didn't exist quite to that degree. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back. We're going to we're going to get back into the conversation. So stay tuned. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to Anther Alert. It's um, around 2.30, so thanks for thanks for staying tuned. Um, we're talking to Dr. Zarger about her project in the Tampa Bay area, uh, looking at you know, climate change and perceptions of climate change, um, sp- uh, particularly here in Tampa Bay. And so you're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So with no further ado, we're going to get back into it. Um, Dr. Zarger, when you were explaining kind of what you guys were doing with the project, you mentioned uh, public workshops that you were using to uh, that were open to the public. Well, public workshops, I guess that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they were extra That's kind of, open. To yeah, the they were extra yeah. open um, to kind of create a dialogue. Can you kind of talk about, you know, why you guys chose to do that and, um, you know, sort of what you guys were, were doing during those workshops? Yeah, so we envisioned this as a way of kind of doing two things. One was to understand the process of climate science translation uh, and communication and also to really understand what people's uh, concerns were about climate change in the future. And um, I think a a really key part of this, I want to sort of give a mention and shout out to our, um, we we had three collaborators from the University of Florida Agriculture Extension, uh, IFAS, um, or NC Grant, um, Libby Carnahan, uh, Lara Miller and Ramona Madising Hector. And we, uh, as a team, along with Gina Larson, who was a former master's student in our uh, Department of Anthropology, uh, she was a, a research scientist on this project, we uh, developed a workshop idea in order to kind of test out ways of communicating about climate science to the public, um, but also listening to what people's concerns were. So the way these worked was... Um, and we, we've actually had um, four following the format that I'm, I'm going to describe here just in a second. And then we've we changed it around a little bit, and then we've had four more. Um, and we're continuing to uh, sort of revamp and revise the, the workshops. But the way they are presented is we have a little bit of a discussion about sort of basic climate science in the beginning. And then um, we sort of open it up to people talking about how they think climate change is likely to af- affect them personally. Um, and we sort of hear their climate stories and their concerns. And uh, some of the kinds of things that people share with us include, you know, seeing lots of flooding events, experiencing extreme weather, uh, you know, hurricanes, tropical storms, uh, thinking about, um, you know, how their neighborhood is likely to fare uh, when sea level rise, uh, you know, starts to increasingly have a, an effect. Um, so those are the kinds of stories that, that we've heard from people. Um, And then uh, as a part of this workshop, we ask people to kind of think about other topics in addition to 
sea level rise, which often gets, I think, really top billing um, as far Mm -hmm. as the impacts of climate change. So we kind of ask people in the process of sharing their experiences to think about other topics like transportation, um, how the food system, you know, potentially might need to to change and adapt, our uh, sources of energy, uh, water resources. So it's kind of asking them to think beyond just, you know, what's going to be inundated by sea level rise and to kind of, kind of nudge people into thinking about what are some of the the big changes that or the shifts that we might need to make in um, our sort of basic everyday lives and how we, we go about um, making a living. And um, so as people kind of consider those topics and how they're likely to change, by the end, we start to have a discussion about, well, what can I do? Uh, and in the beginning, when we started this research, we didn't really have the what can I do part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I think that was one of the things that we really took away from uh, the first workshop that I did, which was uh, designed uh, with some environmental anthro seminar grad students from the Department of Anthropology, we we came to the conclusion that leaving people with concrete uh, information about things that they could do, for example, organizations they might go to for additional information, uh, thinking about, you know, if you're interested in this topic, contact your city council or elected representatives. Those are some of the um, the kinds of suggestions we made. We also provided them with uh, some handbooks on uh, sort of sustainable choices that you can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, leaving people with a kind of action step at the end became really important. And, uh, and one of the other things that was sort of a takeaway from these workshops was um, that you know, climate change, at least for the people who, who came, was a real concern. But um, the sort of, I don't know, the sort of complexity of the problem was something that was really difficult for people to wrap their heads around. Yeah, it's kind of baffling sometimes yeah, <laughs> like, to think about. Exactly. You know? um, it's a pretty big problem. What are we going to do? And I think one of the ways that I often end up concluding some of the, the talks that I have on the topic um, is, is something that I think is useful to imagine, and that is many of the things that are likely to improve our situation with regards to climate change, uh, for example, uh, mass transit or having more sustainable um, land use patterns or farming practices, those kinds of things are changes that we already know, um, both ecologically and socially, have lots and lots of benefits mm-hmm. uh, and we could move towards. Um and this is just another good reason, I think, um, to potentially consider those. Uh, so there's one other part about the workshop that I think is kind of unique about this project, and that is that we uh, we collected information from interviews, which I mentioned a bit ago, with uh, climate scientists, uh, policymakers, uh, and other uh, folks who are really interested in this topic. And then we took that information and we created – Uh, three sort of visual scenarios for likely impacts of climate change in the Tampa Bay area. Um, And we asked people through this this video to imagine a family in uh, this area 50 to 100 years from now and thinking through, like, you know, what would their everyday life be like? Uh, And so one scenario was sort of a best-case scenario, um, sort of a more sustainable one. Another one was kind of what we thought of as the status quo, uh, and the third one is what we kind of refer to as the underwater scenario, which is Real sort of worse. And- <laughs> yeah, um, day after tomorrow kind yeah. of uh, situation. So, um, and w- 
when we left, you know, we concluded at the end of the video, the focus was really not on any one of those scenarios being a prediction, right? Um, they were they were narrative stories that were based on global uh, international uh, predictions, but uh, they were localized for Florida. Uh, and so none of not you know none of them would be you know the future, but it's just asking people to kind of consider some possibilities, right? What were kind of the reactions to those videos during the workshops? Well, that's a great question. So we're not filmmakers, <laughs> <laughs> so there were some uh, you know there were some really constructive uh, critiques uh, and suggestions. I think people really appreciated the the concept and the mm, idea the effort <laughs> yeah because i think one of the one of the critiques of uh of climate science and trying to share what they know is that it usually involves graphs and um, right. uh, things that maybe aren't that accessible to people right. and so uh, the idea here was to present it in visual form so we mm, used like mm -hmm. images and you know beaches nearby beaches and and neighborhoods and and local uh residents uh and that made it more relatable so the idea was to take a global problem and kind of boil it down to a relatable local mm. example mm -hmm. um i think of all the responses we got uh one of the the most significant was that people we in the origin in the in the video we ended with the worst case scenario so we like we started off best case and we ended worst case mm. and people were really bummed out about that <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. we're right. uh, we're in the process of reordering the scenarios yeah. to end with the more sustainable. Right. We were trying to avoid Happy ending. Yeah, we were trying to avoid um, you know sort of presenting one as is the best solution. That was not really our our goal or our in intention. Um, but I think uh, maybe that brings me to an important point, which is that um, you know people feel helpless. I think against this problem, right. and, it, and it's so massive. So focusing on what is possible to change mm, mm -hmm. uh, and, and providing a, a little bit of hopefulness, I think, um, is something that's really important with this topic. Mm. What were some of the other um, ways and avenues in which you guys used to disseminate the results of, of the study? Oh, that's a great question. So um, lots of different ways. There uh, have been a lot of uh, talks and at, at various venues, some um, sort of more informal in the public, uh, others with uh, organizations who participated in the research, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, a lot of different places here locally. Of course, we've presented at academic conferences and right. that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but we also have uh, in development a website that the public can access uh, oh, and the, uh, the video and um, some of the, the climate stories that I was mentioning um, are going to be available on that website. Um, and I also have a, a graduate student, uh, Justin Wynn, who may or may not be listening right now. <laughs> um, but he's doing uh, some really innovative research right now in Cortez, which is a small fishing community just south of, of Tampa, mm. um, looking at the issue of climate change. And uh, so he and I have been working. Um, and then uh, Alexis Winner, who was also a uh, master's uh, alum of our program, um, now she works for the Field Museum in Chicago. She was really instrumental in carrying out a lot of this work. So um, they've all contributed really important uh, components to sharing this work with the public. Mm. So with the website that you guys formed, um, 
you know, are there sort of, do you guys have plans for the future to continue to get, like, be in contact about the research and maybe more ways or, like, more ways of action and things that people can get involved or yeah. things people can do? Or Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, we, uh, along with the, the partners that we've been working with for the project, um, there's been a l- different kinds of uh, conversations and reports uh, with the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Commission, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Um, lawmakers who are make, making decisions potentially in the future about uh, environmental regulations. So I think there's lots of ways to have the, the, the conversation about climate change. And um, we're really interested in pursuing all of those avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, we just held another public workshop that was in Newport Ritchie uh, just a few weeks ago. And um, just hearing the stories of people who who came to that workshop, you know, they came to their public library in the evening, um, you know, took away from their own family time and that kind of thing just to come and talk about their concern about climate change. Um, And many of the people who came were actively involved in in the management of their town. Mm. Uh, And so I do think that there's a lot of value in providing a space for dialogue. for people who are really concerned about this topic and then helping them kind of talk through like, you know, what are our priorities? What are some of the, you know, costs and benefits of of different ways to address this? Because there's, there's so many components of it. It's hard to kind of know where to begin. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. So hopefully that's something our, our research could kind of point towards Mm -hmm. some, you know, these are maybe some of the uh, most significant risks, for example, to particular uh, neighborhoods or, or areas that are more vulnerable than others. Yeah. I always find it challenging, you know, with projects like this where there are so many components and differing opinions and things. But when you have, you know, community members that are really concerned about this issue and you guys have done all this great work on it, you know, how to make sure that those results get to the the people that can make decisions you know you're talking about like policymakers and, mm-hmm. and lawmakers and things like that you know trying to find ways in which this information can kind of get in their hands uh so they can at least see it did you guys kind of have any challenges with that or you or how are you guys are addressing that well you know it's interesting i, I feel like um you know each of the individuals who are involved in the research probably have pursued that in different ways right um, you so you know, kind of flood them with information well, <laughs> from different I, avenues. I think uh, the secret agent, um, Libby, Libby Carnahan, she has uh, done an amazing job in her position of um, communicating with lots of different sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also uh, led a science advisory panel mm-hmm. um, that came out with a report that focuses specifically on sea level rise last year. So it's like a, a local consensus-based mm-hmm. report, and it had – uh, social scientists and climate scientists involved, and that I think has has had um, a noticeable effect on mm. the um, local political landscape as far as people um, in positions of decision making power paying more attention to the topic and mm-hmm. thinking about ways to kind of move the um, the conversation about climate adaptation or what we need to do to prepare mm-hmm. for these impacts uh, move that forward great. Um, I think we're, we're going to take one more short music break, and then we will come back to the conversation. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 16.20 a.m. on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. If you've been listening to 
the past 40 minutes of our conversation with Dr. Zarger. You know, we've been talking about climate change and her project here in Tampa Bay, looking specifically at, um, you know, sea, uh, sea level rise and, you know, perceptions of, of climate change uh, in Tampa Bay. And so we're going to bring the conversation back around to anthropology and its significance in all of this and, you know, what role does anthropology play in in conversations of climate science, but also, you know, what can it contribute to um, to studying climate change in general? So can you talk a little bit about that, Dr. Zarger? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've learned a lot being an anthropologist, you know, working on this topic, uh, which has involved a lot of interdisciplinary dialogue and translation just um, from my own perspective and experience. Um, and I think there's several things that anthropology can contribute to thinking about climate change, um, thinking about futures of climate change. And one of the things that I think is is probably the most important is the the way ethnography of um, doing interviews with people can um, be a way of understanding these climate stories that people have. So um, it's often discussed in, in a very um, sort of removed, not down-to-earth kind of way um, as far as the likely impacts of climate change. You know, it's a global uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. What's going to be the the impact um, for individuals, you know, for this family who's living in uh, the Tampa Bay area mm-hmm. uh, in, in t- 50 years from now? Right. Um, and for me personally, you know, I have uh, a daughter who's seven, almost eight, and, um, you know, if she's still in the Tampa Bay area 50 years from now, this will be her family, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's also uh, uh, it, it's very personal. But I think hearing those climate stories is something that anthropologists uh, are uniquely positioned to do and also find ways to kind of connect those stories with, uh, for example, people who are making decisions that are going to affect how we respond mm-hmm. to climate change in the future. Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, Finding ways to kind of bring those stories to to audiences that that aren't um, usually uh, sort of tapped into that information. Um, I think one of the other things that that anthropologists are uh, situated to do is uh, to to really look at things from multiple perspectives. So, you know, it's not uh, as common for, for example, some of the the climate modelers to be in communication with elected officials or uh, for local environmental organizations to um, be talking with groups um, that are focused, sort of faith-based groups, for example. So mm-hmm. um, so one of the, the calls that we've made, I think, um, with our work is for more, more coalitions, more collaborations. Um, and that's something that anthropologists have also really uh, historically done, especially applied anthropologists. So, um, so we know something about that. We know something about... Uh, working with those kinds of coalitions to support them. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is um, drawing attention to the the ways history and politics, uh, especially of marginalization, are going to affect certain populations more than others, right? So the impacts of climate change in the Tampa Bay area are not going to be the same for everybody, clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's going to experience it in a much more sort of stark fashion uh, and uh, not just why and and how that will play out, but what are we going to do about that? Mm. Right. So, you know, are there are there areas that are already experiencing 
uh, marginalization with regards to, you know, the um, access to uh, green space or uh, maintenance of the roads or other infrastructure, you know, some of those neighborhoods that are uh, more likely to be inundated with flooding more often, um, you know, you'll see this kind of like double exposure and compounded vulnerabilities in particular parts uh, of the Tampa Bay area. Um, and it's not just random. Those are not by accident, right? Those yeah. spaces have been created through, um, you know, many, many decades of marginalization, uh, you know, and the sort of lack of resources that have been available um, in those neighborhoods. So the um, I think the message that is important to uh, to share based on the work that we've done is that we need to consider how climate change is is not going to affect everybody in the same way Mm. Um, and sort of tell the stories of places where um, maybe it's not on the beach. uh, Maybe it's not the big pink Don Cesar Hotel, which is one of the places that people are often very, very concerned about Mm -hmm. with regards to uh, being affected by uh, sea level rise. Um, But these are neighborhoods that, uh, you know, deserve the same amount of attention, planning and thinking about adaptation. Mm. Well, very insightful final words. Um, so that's all the time that we have. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And Dr. Dogger, thank you for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule um, to sit and talk with us. Um, it was nice to have you. Yeah, thanks, Spencer, for having me on. And um, I'm uh, definitely open if anyone's interested in uh, hearing more about our project. I'd love to uh, share some more information with you. Yes, if you do want to learn more, um, there will be a summary of our conversation today with um, a bio for uh, Dr. Zarger. You can also look up more about her uh, her work on the USF Anthro Department webpage if you would like to learn more. Um, but don't leave yet. Uh, we're going to take a music break, but when we come back, it will be the second hour of our show, and we have a, a Ph.D. student here in the department. He's going to be talking about his... Um, archaeological work, so please stay tuned.